good morning, everybody. I want to start out with a question that uh, is humbling, and uh, we'll see how honest you can be. Uh, so f the question is simply this. How many of you will admit that while growing up, like me, you were afraid of the dark? Let me see those hands. <gasps> That's what I thought. <clears throat> now, here's the more important question. How many of you have grown up and are still afraid of the dark? <laughs> Why are we afraid of the dark? Why is that? I think it's because the dark makes us feel vulnerable and insecure. I mean, you don't know who or what is under the bed. Or lurking in the basement. Coming down the hallway. And thanks or no thanks to Hollywood, our imaginations can run absolutely wild on us, can't they? About what's there, probably not there, but what's there. So we like light over darkness. Because the light gives us clarity, settles our spirits, it calms us. I can see what's around me. I feel more secure. And if there's a threat around me, <clears throat> it gives me time to run or do whatever I have to do in order to protect myself. Light diffuses darkness, <clears throat> and that makes us feel better. But light also gives us insight into mysteries. And the greatest mystery in the universe is God. And there is no way for us as human beings to shine a light on God and figure God out, uncover God, so to speak. God has to reveal himself to us, and thank God he's done that. And so in this last message in our Christmas series called Light, we're going to, we're going to have a tremendous view of God. And I think it's going to give us extraordinary insight into him and, listen carefully, into ourselves. Because if you don't understand God, you can't understand yourself. In fact, I believe it'll bring peace and joy to your heart if you really dial in with me this morning. So I want you to turn with me to a passage of Scripture found in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. And those of you who are joining us online, I encourage you to do that as well. John chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first five verses, and then only really one phrase. It's a pregnant passage of Scripture, pregnant with truth and application. So John chapter 1, verse 1. In that passage, the New Living Translation, it says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. Now, if you want to highlight, underline it, that's the phrase we're going to come back to and look at briefly this morning. And it says the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never, ever extinguish it. In those verses, God literally invites us into a very personal, <clears throat> excuse me, look at his life. And I don't think we often 
have that concept in our minds. Normally when we think about God, we almost think about him in a theological, academic kind of way. And far and kind of distant. But there are many places in Scripture, and this is one of the main places where God says, I want you to come close. I want you to understand something about me, my inner workings, my soul, as it were. And like I said, we're focusing on just that phrase, the word was with God. See, John has a wide audience he's dealing with, not just Jews, but also Gentiles. And he's got to figure out, what can I say that Gentiles can dial into this? And so he picks up this Greek term, logos. And he does that because if you were to walk up to a Gentile, a Greek in those days, and say, and ask them, you know, what is the cause of the universe? What's behind all of this? They would say, oh, it's logos. Logos meant reason, cause, word. There is a a logos behind all of this. And John is saying, well, let me tell you who the logos is. And he introduces us to the Trinity, something that as true, sincere Christians, we believe is one of our cardinal doctrines. We don't mess around with that. The Trinity is something I can't fully explain, and I don't know if we'll understand eternity. Maybe we will. But the Trinity is one God in essence, but three distinct personalities, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's such a mystery because because one and yet three, and that's why religions like Judaism and Islam look at Christians' view of God and, and say our view is very inferior. You've got three gods, but no, we're not talking about three gods. We're talking about one God, but multipersonal. One and yet three. Not God morphing into three beings, no. Not three separate gods, no. One God, three distinct personalities. See what I'm saying, the mystery, why it's so hard? Because you go to passages like over in John 10 when it says, when Jesus says, the Father and I are one, but then he also says, and I have been separated, the Father has separated me for the purpose of salvation. It's like, as Westerners, we want to, cut and dice and analyze and figure it out and make it really clean and easy. But you have to understand the Eastern mind, that's how the Bible's written, the Eastern mind can accept what seems to be things that are kind of speaking against each other, that, that, that in our rational minds don't make sense. They just accept it. That's kind of what we have to do with, with the concept of the Trinity itself. It's this beautiful mystery. So, as we keep kind of moving ahead with this, What I want us to understand is that before creation, God already existed. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're focusing primarily on the Father-Son's relationship here. And existed in an absolute loving relationship. Because in essence, God is love. Let's actually say that together. Ready? One, two, three. God is love. So God existed in love and, and, and in perfect love, perfect harmony, perfect communication, perfect relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And talking in particular about Jesus here, there's a little word I want us to focus on in that phrase. The word was with God, and that word is with. With. And to understand what it means that Jesus was with the Father, you got to go to verse 18. Look what it says in verse 18. It says, no one has ever seen 
God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So we're told Jesus is unique, but he's very God, and yet he is near to the heart of God. Now, unfortunately, the word near, or some translations have uh, close to or besides, are not the best translation of that word. The best translation is bosom, B-O-S-O-M. That Jesus, the word, the unique word of God, was and is and always will be in the bosom of the Father. Now, a lot of us are not acquainted with that term, bosom. It seems archaic or in our culture has been sexualized. And so many things, unfortunately, have lost their, their beauty and their meaning because they get sexualized. But that's literally what it means. In the Greek, it means the space between your arms, your chest. So let me ask you a question. This is kind of bring it home. Very personal question. Who, if you were, let's start out this way. If you were lying on your back, on the floor, on the rug, at your home, your apartment, who can come and lay on top of your bosom face to face, chest to chest, and doesn't have to ask permission. Boy, that's invading some personal space, isn't it? Who can come and do that? In my life, my wife can do that. And when they were younger, my grandchildren could do that. Now they're getting older, ripe old age of seven, eight, nine, and ten. And they don't want to lie on grandpa's chest anymore unless they're trying to pin me to the floor in a wrestling match. But when they were little, when they were little, I loved taking them in my arms when I was laying on the floor on the couch and just lay them on my chest better than, better than any dope. <laughs> Talk about a high. Talk about a sense of calm and serenity and just feeling the love of my being, wanting to surround them and, and feeling the joy of their life and they're, they're just, oh, I can't, words don't describe it. That, that's what it means. That Jesus was in the bosom of the Father. It's a joy and a love and a peace and an acceptance and an affection that can't even be described. So we don't ever think about God that way, do we? Uh, how many of you are married? You see your hands. You'll admit it. Good. All right. Let me talk to you married folks. And for you single folks, think about your, your, your closest friend. That's going to have a lot of meaning for you married folks. I want you to remember a time when you and your spouse, or again, you and your friend, because sometimes you know there's a friend that's closer than a brother, it says. I, I want you to imagine a time when you were together and you felt just like one. And I'm not just talking about physical intimacy. I'm talking about mental, emotional, spiritual intimacy, where you were so in love. You, you had such affection. There was nobody else. There was no jealousy, no competition. you just like, I am so blessed. You know, it's that whole concept. I, I found my soulmate. There's just this intertwining of our being. Oh, I have found the one I feel so complete. Remember the last time you felt that? And I hope it doesn't go all the way back to your honeymoon. I hope you've had some recent experiences like that with your spouse. But remember that? You know what that was? That was a taste of what your whole marriage or your whole friendship could be. 
And yet so oftentimes, it's, you know, here and there, and we kind of satisfy, we kind of accept something less adequate as the norm. Same thing is true with God. You know, we have those spiritual highs with God, but for the most part, we live our lives in the valley, so to speak. We have those spiritual highs with God because that is a taste of what can be known on a far more regular basis than we allow it. But we, sat, we allow ourselves to become satisfied with something less. God in his relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are just constantly in that point of absolute love, affection, satisfaction, joy, and peace within the Holy Trinity. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says regarding the Trinity, they had and have the same loves, goals, values, perfect communication, unbelievable understanding, interpenetration of consciousness, and love and affection. Wouldn't you like to have an experience like that? With someone. That's what God, that's what God invites us into. Is to have that experience with him. And get this. And then in turn be able to have that experience with each other. And get this, another step forward. That's going to be our experience in heaven. And for those of you who have loved ones who've already gone ahead of you, that's what they have right now with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Which, I don't know about you, causes me to look forward to heaven. I want you to think about it this way with me for a moment. Think about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Think about them as, as beaming lights. You ever see those searchlights, you know, that you can see them in the sky? Businesses use them to say, hey, come over here. See where all the action is. If one of those ever faces you, you go blind. But I want you to think for a moment, it's a totally inadequate illustration, but we've got to get our minds wrapped around it a little bit. But I want you to think of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as these beams of light that are pointed at each other. And they're pouring out on each other love and understanding and affection and acceptance and joy. Peace. What a place to be. What an experience to have. And we, we're invited into that. Over in John chapter 17, there's a passage of scripture I want to read for you that I'm doing this because I want you to know the invitation is there. It's actually one of those passages of uh, scripture that you're in, you're in one of the verses. Let me show you what I mean. John 17, verse 20, Jesus is praying. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through, this, through their message. I'm so glad Jesus said those words. This is not just about Peter, James, and John and the others. This includes you and me. We were included in this prayer. Now, what did he pray? He says, I pray that they will all be one. That means all of us here in this room, that we would all be one. He says, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. The bosom, remember? Wow. What a picture of the church, huh? Find a church like that and lives are going to be changed because the world desperately wants that. He says, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. 
you hear that? It's, like, it's Jesus saying, Lord, Father, I want them to be in the circle with us. I, I, I am going to do something to make it possible for them to experience our love being poured out on them. Our affection, our satisfaction. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Wow, what a love relationship. What an amazing relationship. And we know we're all included in that because of verse 20. So I want to I push this a little further by, by a, a little demonstration, a little illustration of God being, you know, this light and him pouring out his love on his creation, how his creation then is able to reflect that love to each other. So we're going to go back all the way to the very beginning. God exists pouring out his love, and God says, I'm going to create a human being, different from all other beings I've created. And I'm creating that human being for the sole purpose that that human being is going to be able to experience the outpouring of love that I enjoy, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm going to put them right in the beam of light so they can enjoy my love and then get to practice my love and reflect it back. And all their children will be able to do that. So I want you to imagine, I'm going to put my sunglasses on, see what's about to happen here. I want you to imagine the spotlights over there on the stage is going to just represent God and his love, right? And I will represent God's creation at the very beginning. So we're going to cut all the house lights off. We're going to turn these on. I'll put my sunglasses on so I don't go blind, all right? And, and now the spotlight is on me. So hopefully on the screen you see me being kind of lit up there. So imagine that light represents God. And God says, I am going to shine my love on my creation, my, my affection, my satisfaction, and my joy. And that was for Adam and Eve, and that was the plan God had for all of us. So let's cut the light, go back to the house lights for just a moment. And now let's talk about, I received that light, what do I do with that light? So Grayson's come on stage, all right? And he's going, you know, he's going to represent you. He's going to represent Eve. He's going to represent another person in God's mind. And we're going to have the light continue to represent God. And I want you, I want you to see how when I let God love me, when I receive what God has for me, I become an instrument then in reflecting that out toward others. So we're going to, we're going to try this again. We'll cut the house lights off and we'll put the spotlight back on me. All right, and then I'm going to take the spotlight, don't mean to blind anybody in the audience, and I'm going to put this on, on Grayson. Can you all see Grayson? See how he's lit up now? So what just happened? All right, the light that was shining on me, all right, I'm now, and I'm not naturally reflective, uh, except for my forehead once in a while. Anyway, I'm now reflecting that light back on him. So this is God's plan. This is God's plan. This is how God planned it in the very beginning. 
And listen carefully. This is how God now wants you and me because something's happened to us. This is how he wants us to treat others. All right, so let's cut the lights and put the house lights back on. And let's press this a little further because the question uh, becomes, well, what, what happened? What happened because, you know, this light, this world has a lot of darkness in it. And I don't mean darkness physically speaking. I'm talking about darkness and, and sin and darkness and lack of love and darkness and hatred and criticism and jealousy and all the ugly things that we see in our lives and our relationships and in this world. Incidentally, not everybody agrees with this view. There's, there, there are many people in the world whose view is that there is no God. There is no God. And that love is simply hormonal. It's just chemistry in our systems. In fact, there was a guy, a famous atheist named Bertrand Russell, maybe you've heard of him before, and he put it this way. He said, man is the product of an accidental allocation of atoms. All the new day brightness of human genius is destined to extinction in the vast depth of the solar system. Only on the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation be safely built. What a cheerful chap he was, that Brit. But at least he's honest. At least he's honest in saying, look, if there is no God, there's nothing really to live for. We're just chemistry. So there really is no love. It's just a chemical reaction, which then begs the question, why is it we long for love so much then? Why is it we sense that at the, at the core of the universe is love? And then there are people who say, well, there's no God, but there is some impersonal force out there, and somehow when we die, we'll all be reabsorbed into that force. But it's, again, it's all impersonal. There's no love there. At that point, love is a human-manufactured emotion that we just need to express in order to all get along together. No, God is love. God is the possessor and the emanator of love. And we get to receive it, and we get to share it. So you say, well, what went wrong? Okay, well, Grayson, we'll get up one more time, and we'll uh, put our sunglasses back on, and uh, we'll go back to the very beginning. God creates Adam. God puts us, cut the house light. Spotlight goes on. God's light is glory. His love is being received by Adam. Adam is reflecting that glory and that love toward Eve and the plan is toward all of creation. And then one day, Adam believed the lie. And the lie was, you don't need God's love. You don't need God shining on you. Be your own light. Be your own source of love. And Adam turned his back on the light. Do you notice what happened to Grayson? He's no longer in the light, right? Because selfishness was born at the heart of mankind. Now, at that point... God could have cut his light off. He could have just said, I'm not going to love human beings anymore. I'm going to destroy them. Look at the darkness we're in. That's what life is like without God. But thank God, he continued to shine his light on mankind. So the spotlight goes back on. Even though our backs were turned to him, God still pursues us. Let's put the house lights back on and the spotlight off. And the way God pursues us is he sends his light to the world. 
and its light is Jesus Christ, who came into this world to shed the light, the grace, the love, the affection of God. And so read the life of Jesus in the gospel, and you just see love everywhere, don't you? His compassion, his kindness, his healing. But where does, where does he most demonstrate his love? It's when he goes to the cross. And he dies our death for us. So that we will have access back into the light of the Godhead. So we can be accepted once again by God. So we can be we can be seen by God with great affection and great satisfaction and great joy as though we had never sinned. Christ dies for us. Now, in the context of love, I want you to dial in for a moment of what a tremendous price the Godhead experiences, particularly the Father and the Son, in his love for you and me. Because as I said in John 10, Jesus says, I have been set aside by the Father, uh, Father, set apart for our salvation. Paul says, Philippians 2, Christ gave up his place of glory, took on human flesh, came, lived, was crucified by our sins. They say the most soul-crushing experience is when you lose your spouse when they die. So you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced it firsthand. Someone you've loved your whole life, and they're gone. God understands that pain because God lost his son, so to speak. His son died, and the son understands that grief because he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that God had knows the price of sin, the pain of sin, the pain of judgment, the pain of death. Why would God go to that kind of length? Why would immortal God go to that kind of length? Because God is what? Because God is love. And he loves you passionately. He loves me passionately. And his resurrection proves that he conquered sin and death. Proves that we now have an invitation to move into the spotlight of our Savior's love and grace for us. I like what John wrote in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. He says, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So John is in essence saying, we've, we've had the spotlight of God on us. We actually lived and walked and talked with Jesus. Now he's with the Father. Now we have the Spirit. We have fellowship with him. We want you to join us. We want you, by, by receiving what Christ has done for you, to join us so that together we all have this fellowship with God, with one another, in answer to Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. See, the spotlight of God is no longer on us. The spotlight of God has actually come to indwell us as believers. And I think the world would be less atheistic if the world saw the light of Christ shining through us first to each other. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love one to another. Yet so often as believers, we're cranky one to another. We're critical of one another. 
We're harsh on each other. We're not forgiving of each other. We're knowing for our fights. What kind of witness is that? The world, where does the world see love in that? Doesn't see it at all. I'm not talking about falling down and letting people run over us and tolerating heresy and wrong beliefs. Jesus, he could be pretty bold, but you couldn't help but always be overwhelmed by his love. I know I need to work on that. Do you? Not only must I reflect his love to fellow believers, but I have to reflect his love even to my enemies. By this they will know, by our love. And all that capacity is within us, is within us. But you got to be willing to bathe in the light. When I first moved to Minnesota many years ago in the 70s, I noticed a phenomenon in the spring on the college campus out at Crown called St. Paul Bible College at the time. I noticed that as soon as it was about 55 to 60 degrees, Everybody on a sunny day went out to lie in the sun to get some rays, to soak in the sun. I thought it was still kind of cold. <laughs> When's the last time you soaked in the sun, S-U-N? Just as his child, as his adopted son or daughter, just soaked in his love, soaked in his grace, soaked in his affection and satisfaction with you, even though you know you're not perfect, in Christ you are. Stop listening to the accusations. Stop listening to how bad you've been, how bad you are. Move into your position in Christ and let him begin to change your life from the inside out. And by the way, a couple of weeks ago when we were in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, about verse 30, I think it was, when Jesus is being transfigured and there's this big light show, remember, Moses and Elijah appear with them, and it says they appeared in glorious form. They were emanating. That's a picture of your future. That's a picture of your loved one who's died and gone to be with the Lord. They're fully in that circle where we will be someday emanating the very glory of God the way he intended it to be in the very first place. Now, isn't that a whole lot better than what the world has to offer? Doesn't that make you long for God? Doesn't that cause you to want to just go spend some time with him? A God like that. And isn't our God absolutely amazing? Huh? That he, that he would demonstrate his love towards you and towards me. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I just have a very simple question. Do you know that love? Like, do you really know that love? Have you moved into that love? If you're here this morning and you've not moved into that love, why not? Why not? Come out of the shadowlands. Come out of the darkness. God loves you. God has already paid the price for your sins. He's just waiting for you to turn around and face the light. Not the light of his wrath and his judgment, but the light of his love and his grace. His mercy and his forgiveness. Right now, if you're ready to do that, just say the simple prayer where you are. Just simply say, dear Lord Jesus Christ, thank you, thank you, thank you 
to loving me. Father, I've had a distorted view of you. I thought you of you as being angry. But I see you are love. There's a lot for me now to learn about you that I didn't know before. I want to move into the light of your love. I receive Jesus in my heart. Lord, come in. Lord, I'm turning my back on the darkness now. I'm repenting. I'm turning my life to the brightness of your light and grace. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, we'd like to start a relationship with you. And it's a little number you can text in. It's on the screen up here. It's simply 952-234-6300. If you just let us know by texting that, just text the word Jesus to us. We'll start a relationship with you and we'll go as far as you want to go with that. Because you see, we'd love, we'd, love to, we'd love to share God's love with you. We'd love to help you begin to grow in that journey, answer your questions, help you make informed and wise choices. Not here to brainwash you, not here to do anything like that, but just help you because we're meant to be a family. If you text that in, we'll begin that and then you you just let us know how much you want, and, and we'd love to meet with you eventually.